Hey there, podcast listeners. My name is Bryant Manning, and I serve as the pastor here at the Wesley Foundation at FSU and TCC. We are a campus ministry of the United Methodist Church on the campus of Florida State University here in Tallahassee, Florida. These sermons that we're presenting here are designed, written, and presented for college students who are exploring their lives of faith and growing in their walk with Jesus. And our hope and prayer is that you too will be inspired by these messages, that you will learn something about the scriptures, and that you'll leave with your life transformed by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much from the bottom of our heart for listening. I'm going to give a message this morning entitled, Not With That Attitude. Uh, I'll tell you more about it in just a second. We're going to pull this out of Philippians 4, but let's pray over the preaching of God's Word. God, may your Word be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Help it to speak to us and through us for the establishment of your kingdom. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight and in our sight alone, O oh God. You are our rock and our redeemer. We love you. Amen. This passage is probably familiar. If you were here last week, we went over Jeremiah 29, 11, and the context that surrounded that, that's a famous passage that we hear all the time. I sometimes call them bumper sticker verses, like you're going to see that on a bumper sticker, okay? This is another uh, passage like that, and we're going to, I want to show you some of the context to it. So we're going to be in Philippians 4. If you have a Bible, pull it out, otherwise it'll be on both screens. I promise you it'll be right this week. Be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say be glad. You might have heard this before. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God and your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding We'll keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on those things, all that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things, whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us. The God of peace will be with you. I was very glad in the Lord because now at last you have shown concern for me again. Of course, you were always concerned, but had no way to show it. I'm not saying this because I need anything, for I have learned now to how to be content in any circumstance. I know the experience of being in need and of having more than enough. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every circumstance, whether full or hungry, or whether having plenty or being poor. I can endure all these things, through the power of the one who gives me strength. I have this phrase that I use if you spend any time around me at all. And people who spend a lot of time around me will tell you that it's very annoying. Okay, but here's the context of the phrase, all right? The phrase is, not with that attitude. If somebody says to me, hey, I don't know how to do something, I will say, not with that attitude. If somebody says to me, like, there's no way that's going to happen. That's just not going to happen. What am I going to say? 
Not with that attitude. Yeah. And, and, and the reason is, and a lot of it comes down to things that like, hey, I don't know how to do that. So if a residential staff member says like, I got to clean the floors, but I don't know how to clean the floors. Um, not with that attitude, you don't. Because guess what you could do? Hear me out. Learn. Oh, right? Right? Here's the reason I believe that is uh, because YouTube exists, right? How many of you have learned how to do something you did not previously know how to do on YouTube? Yes, it's the greatest source other than Wikipedia, which you know you're getting the right information because every, that's a Michael Scott quote from the office, but you know you're getting the right information because everybody can put it on there, which means you're probably not getting the right information, right? But YouTube is incredible because they can not only tell you how to do something, they can show you. The other day I saw Oppenheimer and I, I don't know why, I wanted to learn how the atomic bomb worked. Because I was like, oh, this is interesting. I don't understand anything he's saying. Even though I did study it a little bit in middle school and high school, I, I, I wanted to learn. So what did I do? Where did I go? YouTube, bro. I wanted to know exactly how that thing was made. And so uh, not because I had any intention on using it. But just, just because I wanted to know, right? Right? Because you can learn something on YouTube. And one of the things that I, I really want you to learn as the time that you're here, whether you're in Wesley or just at FSU or TCC or whatever, the time that you're in this space where you moved out of home and you've got a few years to learn all these things in these classes that you pay a lot of money for, right? And then you're going to go on to get a job. I want you to feel empowered. Are you with me? I want you to feel empowered. Because, and I tell you this, and some of you are going to laugh when I say this, because you know your GPA. But there is nothing across the street or at TCC, there is no class that you're going to have to take that you can't do. Do you hear me that? There is no class that you can't do. The reason is, you, you might go, yeah, everybody's like, oh, I don't know about that. No, listen, listen, listen. When I went to seminary, I had studied music in undergrad. I was a, a singer, and so I had no theological education at all. And I went to seminary, and I took what they call CH13. That is the, like, intro to church history. And uh, how many of you are bad at history? Yeah, me too. Like, there's, uh, there's yeah, not enough hands up there. Okay, I feel alone. The, Church history is very difficult. Why? Because there's a lot of names, like weird names, funny names, right? And they, like, there was Gregory. Which Gregory? Gregory of Nyssa? Gregory, you know what I'm saying? Like, they all had these different names, and they were all different places, and dates. And then you know a history class. What do you have to do with those? Memorize them. You have to memorize all of those dates. And it's even worse in a church history class, because I need to know the theological implications of that person who wrote that book that I fell asleep trying to read. Are you with me? Like, I had to do that. So I found myself, as a, basically a straight-A student all of my life, I found myself, CH13, like making not great grades right from the beginning. You ever been in that situation? You're like, oh, this is going to be easy. And then it's not. So what did I do? Uh, I, I pouted to myself a little bit at first. I pouted to myself. And then I thought, you know what? I walk 30 minutes, 20, 20 to 30 minutes every day to get to class because parking is terrible there. And so I could, because the lectures are recorded, I could. They didn't have, pod, podcasts weren't a thing then, but they did, they did have a place where I could go download them and put them on my iTunes and I could put them on my iPod. Have you heard of these things? like the predecessor for the iPhone. So they would, they, you could put them on your iPod inside, put my headphones in, and I would listen to it as I walked. So I'm hearing the lecture not once in the room where I'm distracted by all my friends who are doing dumb things, but I also hear it a second time. Also, I could take that lecture and I could listen to the notes, and I started to realize that that thing that I was giving myself a hard time for not being able to do, all of a sudden I was able to do it. 
So I want you to feel empowered in that way. The reason I say all this is because Philippians 4.13, which says, I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength, is often a bumper sticker verse, right? We're going to put that on the back of our car so that we can feel good about it. Or if you're a quarterback who plays for a team south of here, on your eye black, you would write it across as if that was going to help you win the game. It actually did help him. He won the Heisman and stuff. <laughs> but that's, that's what happens with that verse. Now, that verse does mean that God will give us strength and we can do all things. I just told you, I want you to feel empowered. But can I show you a little bit of some of the background there? Can we talk a little bit about why I think that's the case? This passage comes from Philippians. Say Philippians. All right, and you're going to know this about me if you spend any time with me at all. I want you to know who wrote certain books of the Bible. I want you to know the background. I want you to know some of the history behind it. I want you to to be able to put yourself in the seat of the author. Are you with me? And so I need you to be able to do that. So somebody tell me who wrote Philippians. Paul, Paul. Let's review a little bit about who Paul is. Paul is originally named Saul, and he is a Jewish leader. I mean, he's a Jewish leader. And if you aren't aware, the early Christians, uh, it was not uh, favorable to be a Christian. In fact, if, if you're not sure of the story, Jesus dies for being Jesus, okay? Jesus is killed. Now, he rises again because death cannot be overcome, all right, amen? But he does get killed for being Jesus. And not only him, his disciples around him because they started coming for them. And it quickly became very illegal to follow this guy that said he was Lord. Are you with me? Lord. So we get Saul. He, he is a, a, a Jewish oppressor. He, he is a, he's a, a strong Jewish leader, and he is oppressing Christians. The story tells us in the book of Acts that Stephen, who we consider the first martyr, he's the first one who dies for the sake of the gospel, who wasn't a disciple. Um, he is there being stoned, and it tells us that Saul was there watching. Some historians tell us that Saul actually directed the stoning. That's the kind of guy that Saul is. But let's simplify this a little bit. Saul goes on the road to, do you know? Damascus. He goes to the road, a road to the city, and on this road, he has this very real, very dramatic experience with Jesus. I mean so much so that he's blinded. And he sees Jesus, like physically sees Jesus. And he talks to Jesus and they have what we might call a come to Jesus meeting. Thank you, Willis. Thank you. He has a little come to Jesus meeting. Might be the original term. (laughs) Because he's blinded and he's blinded for a couple days. He has to go into the town to actually uh, become unblinded. And he has this change in his life. Let me tell you, as somebody who experiences this sometimes, and and I'm sure you do sometimes as well, if you find yourself going on a path in one direction in life and something dramatic changes it, let me just say, I'm not saying it might be God, I'm not saying it is God, but it might be God speaking to you in that moment to have you change directions, because it sure happened to Paul. So Saul becomes Paul, and Paul becomes, very literally, I don't mean this uh, in any sort of hyperbolic way, He becomes the single most important person in the history of Christianity. That's a big statement. 
The single most important, other than Jesus, the single most important person in the history of Christianity. Why? Because he's a church planner. I mean, he's the church planner of all church planners. He goes around to these different areas and he plants churches. He tells people about the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. He tells them that Jesus loves them and that Jesus died for them and that Jesus would not be defeated and so he rose again. That's what he goes around telling. And people start gathering around because they want to hear more. And then they gather in communities and then he writes them some letters, letters that most people couldn't read, by the way. Most people weren't literate. So he would write these letters and they would read them in the city square, or they would read them in places of privacy, depending on the legality of the Christian faith at that point. And people would hear these aloud. And he would talk about things like how to live in unity with one another. He would talk about how to live in peace with one another. He would talk about all the things that you might need to hear as somebody who's growing as a disciple. That's why I say he is the single most important figure in Christianity. And here's the other thing about him. He gets in trouble. Why? Because Christianity is illegal. And people find out about this. And so he gets arrested. Not like one time, not like two times, multiple times. In fact, when he writes this letter to the Philippians, it's uh, written to a church in, anybody know? Philippi. Philippi. He's imprisoned. We don't actually know which time he was in prison. He was in prison so many times. We don't actually know when he was imprisoned when he wrote this. But he writes this letter and he talks about all kinds of things. I want you to put yourselves in the, the feet of somebody there who is imprisoned, whose uh, life is kind of at stake, we could say. What are some of the emotions that he has? Would he be mad? He certainly would be frustrated, angry, fearful, scared. Some would say depressed. That's, that's the kind of, if I'm him, I'm thinking like, how do I spread the gospel? How do I expand the church? How do I get to know the people that I've been planning these churches? How do I do that if, if I'm literally in chains? How do I do that? I can't help but think that's got to affect his emotional, physical capacity. It's got to affect the way he understands Christianity, the way he understands faith. It's got to affect the way he understands all of this. Put yourself in that shoes for a second. And then hear what he says. This is verse four. Be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say, be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on those things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things, whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us. The God of peace will be with you. What's he describing here? He's describing a change of attitude. He's saying, if you, if you find yourself in shackles, if you find yourself up against the rope, kind of like he does, he says, be glad in all things. In fact, right before this, he actually t calls two women out by name. I don't know about you, but if I'm at a church 
and there's a gathering and somebody comes to read this letter from the most important person in the history of Christianity and it calls me out by name as doing something bad? Do you want to be in that room anymore? Right? Would you just sink into your seat a little bit? Like that's kind of what would happen to me. And yet after he goes through all that and he talks about being uh, in unity with one another, then he says, be glad. Here's the words he uses. Glad, gentleness, don't be anxious, be thankful. Focus on what is true. Focus on what is holy. Focus on what is pure. Focus on what is lovely. When he's imprisoned, like probably in the worst time of his life, certainly the most trying time, certainly one of the hardest times in his life, what does he do? He says, focus on the positive. Focus on the good. Be glad, he said, in all things. Focus on what is holy, true, pure, lovely. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt kind of down, kind of scared, kind of fearful, kind of like, I don't know if I can do this. He says, focus. I have a lot of experience in my life and I have realized that those times when I choose the right attitude in those moments, the times when I choose the positive, when I choose to see the good in somebody, that's when things go really well. That's when things go really well. And so often, it's easy for us to choose the other way, isn't it? If you were here last week, I told you there's kind of two options when you get to college. You uh, can sit on the sidelines, try to get through as fast as possible, get all your degree, do all the work you got to do as quickly as possible, make no friends, uh, enjoy nothing about it, and then move on with your life. Or the one I recommend, and I think Jeremiah speaks to, is to dive in. Just go for it. Build your life. You get to do this one time. Yeah, there's other degrees, sure. One time you get to do this in your life. At this age, one time. Go for it. And I think the same thing's true when you come into a hard time in your life. When you come into that class that challenged you harder than you are used to being challenged. When you come into that relationship that frustrates you, that friendship that you thought was gonna go great and now all of a sudden it's not going well. Like when that happens, those moments, you have two choices. You could focus on the negative. You could focus on the negative or you could choose to be glad. Lead with gentleness. Be thankful. Focus on what's true, what's pure, what's holy. I think it's incredible that he ends this passage with that statement that we've all heard before because we've heard Philippians 4.13 a thousand times. He goes through this whole thing. He says, I, I can be content whether I'm rich or poor. I, I can be happy whether I'm in chains or free. I mean, he literally says these things. And then he says, I can endure all things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. There was a man in uh, South Africa 
who, uh, named Nelson, Nelson Mandela. And he fought for the right things so many times in his life, fighting the apartheid movement that happened that split white people and people of color. And he was imprisoned for many, many years. One of the most famous quotes of his, though, is this. I am fundamentally an optimist. Whether that comes from nature or nurture, I cannot say. Part of being optimistic is keeping one's head pointed toward the sun, one's feet moving forward. Fundamentally seeing the positive things. Some of you grew up and you see yourselves as an optimist. Some of you grew up seeing the glass half empty. Some of you find it very easy, particularly at this age, just to be honest about our generation, uh, at this age to like see the negative things and focus on the negative things and, and say to yourself, I can't do that. There's no way that I can do that. And to that, I say not with that attitude because you've got to shift your entire mindset. Focus on the things that are good, true, holy, pure. Be thankful. Lead with gentleness. Be glad, Paul says. And he says, the only reason that I can be content whether I'm in shackles or free, the only reason that I can be content whether I'm rich or poor, the only reason that I can do that is because I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. It is only because of God that you can do all those things. It is only because of God, I I believe this, it's only because of God that you will pass those classes. It is only because of God that you can renew that relationship that's been burdening your heart. It's only because of God that you can find yourself leading a better, more direction-filled life and you find yourself, even as an eternal pessimist, to be an optimist because all of a sudden your attitude changes if you focus on the things of God. And it's because of Christ that we get that strength. So if you find yourself seeking the negative or really feeding off the negative, which is what it feels like most of the time, focus your eyes on the things that are holy. Find the people in your life that are just bubbly optimists who can see the good. Make friends with them. You know, just as well as all of us do, that when you're around groups of people, that your attitude shifts with those people. Been in groups like this? Friendships like theirs? So find the right set. I hope that that set is here. But find the right set. And pray that God would open your eyes to those things. That way your attitude could shift. That way you could feel empowered. Like, I can do that. I just focus on the right things, shift my attitude. God will move. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for who you are, what you're doing in our lives. Give us the courage and the power, oh God. We love you. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Wesley Foundation and FSU and TCC. We hope this was uplifting to you and helpful in your walk with Jesus. If you would like to support us, we would love your prayerful and financial support. You can give online at fsuwesley.com or on Venmo by just searching FSU Wesley Foundation. Thanks again.